as you're seated, I encourage you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 16. This is the fourth Sunday of the month, the last Sunday in the month of November. That means that the kids will stay with us today. Rather than dismissing them for kids' crew worship, they'll stay with us. When you came in on either side this morning, there were copies of what we call a children's worship bulletin. If you didn't grab a copy of that, it would be totally okay for you to move now and do that. They're on the little pedestals on either side of these entrances to my right and to my left. That's a way that our kids can engage with our study this morning in the book of Romans. Today is sort of a milestone day of sorts because we are finishing our study through the book of Romans today. We have been studying through the book of Romans for essentially this entire year. Now, we did take a a big portion of the summer off to do our study on the fruit of the Spirit in the summer weeks, but then we dove back into our study in Romans this fall, and we have been working sort of uh, systematically, if you will, bit by bit, little by little, studying our way through the book of Romans. And today we finish with Romans chapter 16. We're going to read the entirety of Romans chapter 16 this morning. We're going to look at some key lessons both in this chapter and, and really what it's doing is it's pointing us back to things we've learned along the way. And so today will be, in a sense, sort of a, a review, if you will. Now, you know that when, when it gets to be the end of the semester, oftentimes the, uh, the professor will offer like a review. There'll be a test review, a test prep. If, if it's dead week or you're nearing finals week, you know, they're going to give you a study guide of sorts. Well, in a manner of speaking, that's effectively what Paul does here. He reviews things. Now, the test, if you will, I suppose, is not paper and pencil. Uh, I, I promise I'm not going to pass out copies of a, a paper and pencil test or something of that nature. And yet, really, we understand that the test comes just through the daily rhythms of life, that we, as we walk through life, that we face trials, we face obstacles, we come up against things. And as our faith is put to the test, we have the opportunity to live according to these truths that that our lives are tethered to, that we've learned from the book of Romans. One of the things that you'll notice as we begin to read through Romans 16 in a minute is there's a lot of names in here. And here's what's interesting about these names. It's easily lost on us, I feel like, that these are real people. And, and what's more, if you study these names, there's a mixture here of of Latin names, Roman names, and Greek names. There's a mixture here both of people of high position, people of wealth, people of means, and common names, what we would effectively think of in, in many ways as being just slave names, just the, 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 the average, uh, the, the average run-of-the-mill you know, sort of name. Uh, I think that points us to some key observations that Inside of this church, you have people from all walks of life. Inside the church in Rome, you have, you have the rich and the poor. You have the Jew and the Gentile. You have the educated and the non. You have those of means and those who aren't. Likely those who are free and those who are enslaved, or at least a form of what we would con- consider something like indentured slavery, right? Servitude of sorts. This... this this diverse mix of people from diverse 
backgrounds. And when I think about the church in Rome in that way, I think about the church in Chickasha. I think about First Baptist Church in Chickasha, and I think about what's represented inside of this room and the people that, that are in this room, that, that there are, there are a, a variety of people from a variety of different places, a variety of different backgrounds who work in a variety of different fields and have a variety of different skills and experiences all brought together as we gather in this place each and every week to worship the Lord, to to yield ourselves, humble ourselves to the authority of His Word, to study its truth, and then to mold our lives around that truth as we work together to advance the gospel and to grow the kingdom of God through sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that's the point. That's the point. The church is called to be a reflection of the culture, of the world, of the people around us, that we are, we, if we're doing our job, we're reaching people from all, all around us, not just a certain few. Not as a First Baptist Church, sometimes we get, sometimes we get the, uh, the reputation. I, I don't feel like it's all that deserved, but nonetheless, we, if you go out in the community, we have the reputation. Oh, that's First Baptist Church, and all the things that you may think of, all the things that people think of when they think of a First Baptist Church, right? In fact, we are a few weeks away from celebrating our 130th birthday as a church. December the 12th of this year will be the 130th birthday of the First Baptist Church of Chickasha. And when you think about how this church has been around really as long as there has been a Chickasha. There's been a First Baptist Church of Chickasha. And, and so this church is an integral part of the story of this community, the story of this city, of people who have been a part of this church, who have worked to share the gospel, advance the kingdom of God in this community, make an impact. And that's still the mission that we operate from today, that we want to be a church for everyone, not a church for the haves or the have-nots, not a church for the elites or the, or, or, or the, the lower. Not a, we want to be a church for everybody. We want to be a church that reaches people from all walks, all stripes, all types, because we want to be a reflection not only of the community around us, but also we want to prefigure the coming, uh, the, the coming throne room of, of God in heaven someday. When we read in Revelation chapter 7, for example, that people of every Every nation, every, every tribe, every tongue, every, every color of skin, every people gathered together, worship and sing, worthy is the Lamb around the throne of God. And we have the opportunity to do that in a sense each week when we gather in this place. And Romans points us to that. Our study through Romans reminds us of who we are of who God is and what He has done so that we rightly see the ground is level at the foot of the cross as we all come to Jesus by faith and seek to worship Him and to follow Him by, by surrendering our lives to Him, even as we learned in Romans chapter 12, our, that we would make ourselves living sacrifices. And that, that, that is our spiritual act of worship. And so this morning as we dive into Romans 16, I'm excited for us to be reminded of the key truths that we have learned along the way. Now, one other thing I want to say before we read Romans 16 in regard to these names. There's a lot of names here that seem kind of, uh, oh, I don't know, difficult. We'll just call them hard names. You know, we do this still. People to this day uh, will encounter people and they have hard names. I grew up with just about one of the easiest names, right? Because 
in my day, I'm a Gen X kid, and in, in my day, in my generation, Gen X, Michael was for years and years the most common name for boys amongst Gen Xers. So growing up in school, there were always a bunch of Michaels. That was always a very common name. Some of these names in this list are, in their own right, pretty common names, but some are rather unique names. Maybe you've got a, a unique names. When Rayleigh and I were naming our children years ago, we sought to have fairly unique names. Now, not crazy out there names. Like some people get really creative with their names. We, we wanted to be creative, but within reason, right? Some years ago, my mom and dad lived in Texas. They lived in Justin, Texas. Uh, well, no, this was when they lived in Forney, Texas. They lived in Forney, Texas, which is on the east side of the Dallas Metroplex. And when they were living in Forney, they had neighbors who the, the wife of this family was a principal of an inner city Dallas school, an inner, inner city Dallas ISD school. And she would tell stories uh, and, and I'll never forget, I don't know why this one particular memory is seared in my mind, but it is. She told the story of a set of twins who went to school at this particular school where she was the principal, and their names were, I kid you not, Lamangelo and Orangelo. Now, that may not sound too funny, but it was literally spelled Lemon Jello and Orange Jello. That was how you spelled their names, Lamangelo and Orangelo, right? People get really creative with their names sometimes. There are some creative names on this list, some unique, let's call them unique names nonetheless. And yet, it's, it's really cool when we understand that each one of these names represents a person, a story, an impact, a, a footprint, if you will, of a life that was lived for the gospel. And here their names are, are written for us so that we might know a bit of their story as the church in Rome, and we might carry the legacy of being a diverse people who work to reach others around us with the gospel. Let's read Romans 16 together. It's a, it's a rather lengthy chapter, and so I'm going to work to read through it fairly quickly, but I, I, want us to, I want us to understand, even as we dive in, that what Paul is doing here is he's reminding us of key truths, and we're going to be reminded of these key truths to this, uh, in, in this message this morning as we, as we finish our study in Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Let's pause there for just a moment. I'm not going to give a lot of backstory on each name and each person here, but something I do want to point out about Phoebe that is unique is uh, Phoebe is a servant of the church at Centre. Phoebe is a woman. And one of the things that, I, that is unique about the life of the early church is that they elevated the role that women play. Now, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate even today in the church, and particularly in Baptist churches today, about the role of women, the role that women play. And, and I suppose the bigger conversation there is a conversation for another day. I hold to uh, I hold to the idea that God has made us all equal, but He's given us unique callings, each one of us, and, and there are certain roles that we, that, that, we, that we play according to God's design for the church, for family, and other things. But even inside of that, 
sometimes I think we lose sight of the fact that part of what the gospel does, I made this statement already, but I'm going to say it again, the, the, the idea that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Part of what the gospel does is it teaches us that we are all God's design. We are all, His, we are all created in His image. We all have tremendous worth, tremendous value, and that God has gifted us and he's united us together. And so Phoebe here, a servant of the church at Centre, Paul has sent with this letter. Literally, Phoebe was the one who carried the letter of Romans to the church in Rome, and she was the one tasked by Paul that as they read this letter aloud in their house churches, if they had questions, if they, what did Paul mean by this, or what is he saying? Phoebe was the one that Paul had had instructed and even empowered to answer those questions. It elevates the role of a woman in the church, and I think it reminds us that, that God has blessed and called women to serve in the midst of our church. All right, that's my two cents. Let's, we'll keep moving. Verse 3, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena, Tryphosa. Greet beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and brothers who are with him. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason, Sosis Potter and my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. That means that Tertius was what we would call the amanuensis. That's a fancy word for the secretary. That was the, Tertius was the one who, as Paul spoke, would write the words down. Gaius, who is host to me, and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. There are so many rich 
and, and important lessons that we've learned in the book of Romans. But there are three key lessons that Paul points to in this final chapter that serve as really a great summary of the entire book of Romans. In fact, when I started studying months and months ago, as I started studying through the book of Romans, I came upon a book that was called entitled Reading Romans Backwards. Reading Romans Backwards. And that doesn't mean that you start with like the, the last word and read it backwards that way, right? Amen. Christ Jesus through evermore right? Not, not that way, but backward in the sense of starting with this final chapter and using the final chapter as a lens through which we understand the rest of the book of Romans. It's a really neat read that helped me understand the book in a new way. And, and what Paul is doing here in this final chapter is he's making a summary of the key lessons he's been teaching. And I want us to see these key lessons, these key takeaways this morning as we, as we finish this study that we might be reminded to live with these truths. And so the first truth that we see is there is one great God. In this chapter, Paul speaks of this one great God. In fact, Romans chapter 16, the entire book of Romans ends with a doxology in the final verses, if you begin in verse 25, and in fact, in many of your Bibles, you're going to find the word doxology printed as sort of a, a subheading there in, in the, the margin of your Bible. And the doxology means that it is a final blessing, a final greeting, but it's also rooted in truth. It's rooted in, in the, the things that they were to believe. The word dox points us like to the word doctrine. That's that word, it's, that, it's the teaching. And so here is a doxology, this final greeting anchored in these teachings. And what we see is that there is one great God. Look at what he writes here about this great God, in verse, particularly in verse 26, right? He, he speaks of the eternal God, the only wise God to whom be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ, he writes in the last verse. There is one great God. If we go back to the book of Romans in chapter 1, what we saw in Romans chapter 1 was that Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by it, meaning from this teaching, from the, what we learn in the gospel, he, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. God has revealed Himself to us in the gospel, in the good news. And the gospel points us to a right relationship with this one great God. He goes on to write in Romans chapter 1 about this one great God and about how what, is, what, is, what can be known about God was made clear through creation. In fact, beginning in verse 18, in the verses that follow in Romans chapter 1, he, he tells about the power of God that is revealed in creation. In Romans chapter 3, he reminded us of the righteousness and the holiness of this God so that no one can stand blameless before God. Because God is holy and just and we have all sinned and we have all fallen short. But the good news, the gospel, which is, means the good news, the good news is that in spite of His power, and his, and his greatness, and His wonder, and His might. God has made Himself known to us. He has made Himself available 
to us so that we might have a relationship with him through faith. And that's the gospel that Romans teaches us. That's the gospel, the good news, is that we can know God through faith in Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, if you read beginning in verse 21, in fact, if we go to Romans 3, look at verse 21. The righteousness of God has been manifested, Paul wrote, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then again in verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Romans 6, 23, we learn that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, we saw that God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of this, all of this points us to the hope that is found in the gospel. So there is one great God, yes, but because of sin, we understand that we all share one great problem. We all share one great problem. Look in verse 17 of chapter 16. Paul says, I appeal to you to watch out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord, but their own appetites, he writes. He's pointing to problems that would arise in the life of the church. The reality is that we all face problems. Now, there are problems within. There are problems within the church. There are divisions. There are troubles that arise. And we ought to watch out for those types of troubles. We ought to be on guard. We ought to, we ought to have our, our defenses up, if you will, to protect against these kinds of divisions and, and, and this kind of... This, this kind of um, Oh, uh, division uh, or, or strife or conflict that can arise in the life of a church when people give more credence to their own opinions and their own ideas rather than they do the truth that the Word of God teaches. There are lots of problems that we could pick on. And yet, in spite of those great problems, we understand that the greatest problem that we face is not the conflict that we have with others. It's not the strife or the divisions. The greatest problem that we each contend against is our sin. And the book of Romans reminds us of that. We have all sinned and fallen short. That Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, not one. That we, that we struggle and we strive against sin. Romans chapter 7, Paul wrote about the sin that he does, and he even says it so that the things that I do are not the things that I want to do, and rather the things that I want to do, I don't do because of the sin that is within me. What a wretch I am, he would go on to write. We're reminded that we're all plagued by this one great problem of sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short, and we sin against each other, yes, the greatest problem is that we sin against God, that we've rebelled against Him, that in our hearts we have sought to do what we thought was right, what we thought was good. We, we sinned, we rebelled against God. I told you some weeks ago when we really studied on sin, particularly in Romans 7, I, I told you that we often teach our kids that sin is anything that we say 
that we do that we don't do or that we think that displeases God, right? So, uh, there are a lot of ways that we sin. Sometimes sin is what comes out of our mouth. Sometimes sin is the things that we do. Sometimes it's the things that we don't do that we should have done. And even at other times, sin is, is internal. It's, it's, a, it's a thought. It's a motivation. It's a desire from within. But all of these things, all, in all of these ways that we sin against God, it's rebellion against His authority, rebellion against His, His power, His righteousness. And, and we've all sinned in some way. And so because of our sin, what we deserve is God's wrath. We deserve His punishment. We've made ourselves enemies of God, and yet God loved us even while we were His enemies. Romans teaches us this, that God loved us, and He made a way for us to be forgiven so that we might walk in hope. And that's the great lesson that we learned, the third great lesson that we see in Romans 16, is that in the gospel we find one great hope. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Romans 16. Paul writes, Your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In other words, the hope that we live for is this. That though we face problems, though we face trials and difficulties, though we wrestle against sin and the flesh in this life, we know that someday soon God will crush the enemy under His feet. That He will, that he will put a final end to sin. He will put a final end to brokenness and pain and all the problems that we face. This same Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas And His birth is coming again someday in final judgment to deal with sin ultimately and to to institute what we think of as a a new heaven, a new earth, an eternal kingdom that will last forever without sin, without struggle, without strife, without pain, without trial. In the presence of Jesus, God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is the hope that we have, or even as the Willises reminded us this morning from Romans chapter 15, verse 13, that we have hope in God who fills us with joy and peace as we believe, so that we may abound in hope. You know what something does when it abounds? That means it overflows, right? Something that abounds, it overflows. God wants us to overflow with hope as we place our faith in Christ and we live with the certainty of His promises so that we truly can have an abundance of joy and peace as we believe in Christ. This is our one great hope and it's rooted to, anchored in, the good news of Christ, the gospel itself, all the way back to Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God unto salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed so that the righteous might live by faith. We have hope in Jesus who has given himself for us, who offered his life for us. And this is the power of the gospel. That 
that we, there is one great God, we have one great problem, but because of His love for us, God made a way. He, he had a solution to that problem, and that was Jesus. And that through faith in Jesus, we might live with this one great hope in the risen Christ, the Son of God who gave His life for us. Has there ever been a moment when you have trusted in Jesus by faith? Has there ever been a moment when you have surrendered your heart and your life to Him, calling on Him as Lord and Savior, placing your faith and trust in Jesus who loved you, who gave His life for you? Page after page, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, Romans points us to faith in Jesus so that we might make Jesus the center, the center of our faith, the center of our worship, the center of our lives as we seek to live for Him. Is Jesus the center of your life? In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response. And in our time of response today, we're going to sing these words, How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. We have one great God, and He's truly worthy of our worship. The last song that we sang before I preached was the song that in its refrain says, Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Great are you, Lord. You know, it wasn't any accident that we sing, that that the message is bookended with songs about the greatness of God. That was really intentional as we planned out today's worship, because we want our hearts and our focus to be on this great God who has made a way for us to be forgiven of our great problem, which is sin, as we place our faith and our trust in Him so that we might live with a great hope through faith in Jesus. And if there's never been a moment when you've surrendered your life to Him by faith, and I pray that even as we sing these words together in a moment, that you might surrender your life to Jesus. I'll be here at the front. Brad will be here at the front. We would love nothing more than to pray with you and walk you through a simple prayer of faith where you surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. And so if God is leading you to trust in Christ by faith today, then I pray that even as we begin to sing that song in a moment, that you would step into the aisle and you would make your way forward. Visit with us. Let us lead you in that prayer of faith that you might trust in Jesus, that you might live with this great hope through faith in Christ as we seek to make Him the sinner of our lives. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And even as we prepare for this time of response today, I want to lead us in a prayer. In this prayer, I simply want to invite the Lord to move in our hearts as we seek to make Him the center of who we are today. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge Your greatness and Your goodness. As we look to You today, Would you fill our hearts with hope so that through believing in you, we may abound with peace and joy as we look to you, Christ. We're so grateful that you loved us and you made a way for us to be set free from our sin, that we may live in this hope, that you had a solution for our one great problem, And so now in response to your greatness, God, we want to offer our very lives as worship. 
And so we say, here I am. Lord, take my life. Use me. May that be the prayer of one in every heart in this room today. Here I am, Lord. Use me for your name and your glory. And it's in that name we pray. Thank you.